0: I've been taught a lot of things in my life, and I've forgotten a fair number of them. But there's one thing that nobody has had to teach me that I am excellent at. I know I shouldn't really brag, but it's called impatience. Now, for those of you who have heard of this word, let me describe it for you. I'm the kind of person who goes to the grocery store and looks for the shortest line available. And I'm moderately annoyed if I see that a line is moving faster than the one that I'm in. I'm the kind of person who goes to the gas station and if all of the gas pumps are already filled up, I'm bothered by that. I'm the kind of person who doesn't like a meandering conversation that seems to have no conclusion to it. Maybe you can relate to this kind of thing. It seems like though that I've come by it honestly and that life is actually conformed to my impatient ways. If I think about the latest technological advances that have happened in communication or with our computers. Everything is geared towards making life faster, more on demand. No longer do I have to wait to, to watch a movie when it comes out on DVD or anything like that. I can just do it on demand, streaming it whenever I want to. This is what it's like to be impatient, which immediately confronts me when we Turn to God's word because in James chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Every time we open up God's word, we see this popping up this idea of God's patience. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and they include love, joy, peace, and patience. Patience is something that runs from cover to cover in God's word. It's something that God calls us to be in our own lives. So for people like me who are naturally good at impatience, well, this is a real struggle for us. I'd invite you to turn to chapter 5 of James. As we look at verse 7, we see that verse that I just read. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The patience that James has in mind is related to a very specific situation. That word therefore is really critical in this verse because it points us back up to verses one through six that we looked at last week. In those verses, we see this specific scenario that's played out that James is confronting. He's not mincing any words here. What's going on is you have two groups of people. You have unrighteous, wealthy people who are landowners who are employing the labor of very, very poor people and many of them are believers. So you have this injustice going on because while these poor Christians are being employed, they're not being paid. Look at verse four, James says, behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. In a word here, what we see is suffering. We see affliction. We see a struggle. And for people who are in this kind of suffering, what's particularly hard is patience. Think about the phrase that we use. If we've had a really long day or a hard day, rather, we say it was a long day. Some of the longest days of my life have been the days that have included the greatest struggles that I've faced, I go back and think about basic training in the military and I'm marching on my way to a meal hoping that it's dinner but remembering on the way that it's only lunch. I think about a very different situation in my life but also a struggle. One morning I woke up with an intense stomach ache and throughout the day it just got worse and worse. And Katie and I had been married for about a year at this point, and she drives me to the emergency room, a route that we had taken numerous times before on our way to other places. It had never been a problem before to take this, these roads to go this direction, but on this particular day, it was the longest road trip of my life. Every stop sign and every intersection where there was a red light was a great annoyance to me. It was a major problem. Every bump in the road was like a kick in the gut. The problem was that I had appendicitis and had to have surgery to have my appendix removed. But I was suffering in that moment and because of it, this average, ordinary, routine drive became something like a nightmare for me. That's what happens when people are suffering. And so the call to be patient is especially costly for people who are in that kind of situation. And James just leaves it open ended here. He says, Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. We've already pointed out how there was a great injustice going on where these people, these poor believers, were not being paid. They were being mistreated for the work that they were doing on behalf of the rich. The word for coming here is directed at that because it's a Greek word that has to do with the coming of a king or a dignitary that would visit a city. But in the New Testament, this word points to the coming of Christ with his justice. So for those who are suffering injustice, this is the hope. Not that there's a definite defined period of time when they can wait but that the object of their waiting will bring ultimate justice. It will bring them ultimate hope someday. We might wonder, though, what kind of waiting is is really required here? What kind of patience is it that James is calling us to? James uses an illustration here in the second half of verse seven where he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. James points to this illustration of farming and if you know anything about farming, then you know it's anything but sitting around. Farming is plowing the ground. It's preparing the soil to plant the seed. Back in this day, they would actually plow the ground twice, first to break it up, and the second time after they had scattered the seed to cover back up the seed. Then there's the weeding and the natural work that you would do to try to make sure that the crops have the best chance of growing and flourishing. This was not some kind of passive standing by and just waiting for things to happen, but this was an active kind of patience. And that's the first thing we see here. That the kind of patience that James is calling us to is not passive, but it's an active and dedicated patience where we are actively engaged in the Lord's work. I've been so encouraged recently just to hear about some of the ways that you all are involved here at Calvary. Just this last weekend, we had the 6-8 project where we saw food donated from each of our three campuses on food drives that will now be distributed and reallocated towards families who are struggling with food scarcity. I think about the ongoing efforts that we've had to support Afghan refugee families. I think of the work being done to support the Marshall Fire Fire victims and the work that's being done to help come alongside them and provide them with resources as they rebuild, as they rebuild their lives even. And I think about in two weeks, this marvelous work that our high school students are anticipating where they'll go to El Salvador with a clean water filter in one hand and the gospel in another. This is what it looks like to be patient but active as we wait for the coming of the Lord. But we see another element of this patience as well in the simple fact that it's a patience that waits for the precious fruit of the earth, for the early and the later rains that come. See, this is a patience that has a great clarity about what is and is not ours to control. That's what it means to be patient in this way. These farmers had no option of setting up some state-of-the-art sophisticated irrigation system that would provide the optimal amount of water at just the right time so that there would be the most robust and abundant crop possible. Instead, they had to rely on the Lord of heaven and earth to provide rain exactly in the right amount and exactly at the right time. In fact, scholars have pointed out how both of those elements are critical. They're just as important, that you have not only the right amount of rain, that it would also fall at the right time. And these farmers knew that the only way that it would fall is from the Lord's hand. Centuries before this, the prophet Jeremiah rebuked the people of Israel because they had forgotten this fact. He says this in Jeremiah chapter five, but this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They've turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. They had forgotten that all of this provision came straight from God's hand. But the patient farmer who James is pointing to as an example knows firsthand that there is a clear demarcation between what is the farmer's responsibility and what is the Lord's responsibility. This is what it means to be patient. Think about some of our responses to suffering. Our natural response might be retaliation. In the case of these workers who are being mistreated, they might seek to retaliate against the rich landowners who are against them. In a situation, though, where you don't have any option of retaliation, if you think about a health problem you have, you get it taken care of immediately. You get the appendix removed as fast as you possibly can. You get the tooth pulled out as quickly as possible. But in situations where our suffering is such that we have no recourse, we have no solution, no easy way out, we might just throw our hands up in the air in indifference. We might just be cynical and think this is just the way life works. Those are some of our natural responses to suffering. But what James is calling us to here is a patience as our response, a patience that looks to the Lord as the maker of heaven and earth and the one who provides us with all that we have and a patience that is active, being busy with God's work until he comes. But James issues a warning for us in verse nine as we think about this kind of patience. He says here do not grumble against one another brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. After a long day or a frustrating season of life, isn't it easy for us to turn on each other? Isn't it easy for us to grumble against one another? James has said a lot about the words that we speak to one another. At the end of chapter three, he pointed out though how our words to each other are about more than just our tongue. It's about the source of our words, which is our heart. And he said, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. When we start to grumble against one one another because we are suffering in some way, because we're not patient in some way, it's pointing to a problem in our hearts. See, we're not truly being patient, our faith is not patient when we're grumbling against one another. So James is issuing this warning so that we might have a true kind of patience that builds one another up, that encourages each other so that we might wait patiently together. But then the next question we might wonder is, what does this kind of patience look like? James goes there next in verse 10. Look at what he says. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We don't know exactly who James might have in mind, but at the top of the job description for a prophet are phrases like, must be willing to suffer bodily harm. Must be willing to give messages that nobody wants to hear. Must be willing to travel to places nobody wants to see you. This is what a prophet does. We could look at various examples in scripture. There are many. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see the example of Elijah. Elijah had a death threat against him from Queen Jezebel. And Elijah says in 1 Kings chapter 19 that he's afraid he arose and ran for his life. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Notice there how suffering has the effect on us of bringing isolation. We feel lonely when we're suffering. We feel like our suffering is a struggle unique to history, unique to humankind. That's where Elijah was in that moment. If we keep reading just a little bit further in 1 Kings chapter 20, there's an unnamed prophet who has a message that he's supposed to deliver to the king of Israel. But he needs a visual aid on the way and he commands a person to beat him up, to strike him in the face so that he will appear before the king of Israel bandaged up. Because that's part of the message that the king needs to not only hear but see. Just a little ways further in 1 Kings, there's the prophet Micaiah who is brought again to confront the king of Israel. And the king of Israel says this about him when he hears that Micaiah is coming his direction. He says, I hate him for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Micaiah's message to the king is so offensive that a false prophet goes up and in front of a national television audience in prime time slaps Micaiah across the face, Oscar style and throws him in prison and feeds him meager rations of bread and water. This is the plight of a prophet. That's not even to say anything of others like Jeremiah, who was thrown into a muddy pit and just left there to die. This is what a prophet does. And James points to them as an example of what it means to be steadfast, what it means to be someone who waits patiently, But notice that their suffering is because they spoke in the name of the Lord. In other words, their suffering is not because they were out of step somehow with the Lord, but their suffering was due directly because they were faithful to the Lord. Now we look at another example that James puts in front of us. And he says, right here, um, immediately after the prophets, he says in verse 11, "...behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast." You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know the story of Job probably, even if you haven't been in the church. Job is a man who lost nearly everything. He lost his family, he lost his property, he lost much of his health. In chapter two, verse nine of Job, his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? If we think about Job's story though, we might wonder why he's being held up here as an exhibit for us because Job certainly had his flaws. He had his problems. He complained against God. But people point out how Job never lost his faith. He never abandoned the Lord in the midst of all of his suffering and struggle. And that's why he's an example to us. He's an example of those who are blessed, who remain steadfast. Job received back much of what he had lost and even more than he had lost at the end of his life. That's not a promise that we should take for our own lives, though. That's not necessarily what will happen to us. But we do know that we will all be blessed if we are steadfast in our faith until the coming of the Lord or the end of our life. That's what we see in Job's story. Job is blessed because of his steadfastness in his faith. You know, I think as well about some people in our own church in recent months who have gone on to be with the Lord. These are godly people, saints in the Lord, who for decades were a part of our church, ministering alongside us, and we miss them dearly now as they are now with the Lord. But they are blessed because of their steadfastness. This raises the question in my mind, Who can you recall in your own mind? Who comes to your mind in the midst of suffering? Who can help you get through suffering when you're facing your own struggles? Look at James and how he has all of these people in his mind, the prophets and Job. Before this, James has pointed to people of the likes of Abraham and the prophet, I mean the prophet, not the prophet, but the prostitute Rahab. Job has these people in his mind to recall as examples of people to follow, of examples of people who helped him in his own day and that he pointed others to to help them in their day. And we have them for us as examples as well of what it means to be steadfast. So who's in your own mind? Who can you recall and think of in your own struggle about what it looks like to live a life of steadfastness before the Lord? What it really comes down to is this fact that we have this great promise that's in front of us for the future that we can grasp onto, we can cling to with our lives, and we have this great example, a whole group of people behind us, the prophets, Job, and the people even in our own lifetime who have gone on to be with the Lord. We have them as sources of strength, models for us to follow, as examples for us to emulate. This is, what Job, or this is what Job points us to, and this is what James is reminding us of in these verses. We've heard of the steadfastness of Job. We've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful in each of these ways. Where does patience come from? That's a key question. We've seen what patience looks like. We've seen that patience has to do with an active dedication and devotion until the Lord comes. We've seen that patience has to do with a clarity about what is and is not ours to control. But where does it come from? The answer that I think this text is pointing us to is that it actually comes from a confidence in the character of God. That's what Job is, or that's what James, rather, is showing us here as we look at the steadfastness in these examples, but we see the purpose of the Lord in them, that the Lord is compassionate, that the Lord is merciful. What is God's purpose? What is God's purpose especially in suffering? This is where James began his book. If you remember back to chapter one, We looked at verses two through four where James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the purpose of the Lord in our lives. This is the purpose of patience. This is the purpose of steadfastness, that we might be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. This is what gives us our source of patience. We can look forward to the Lord's return knowing that as we wait, God is doing something in us that's leading to our own perfection and completeness. This is what gives us hope as we face despair in some of our days and some of our situations and circumstances. We can cling to this hope that's in front of us and we can look behind us to the examples of faithfulness in the past from other people to see God's faithfulness through their own lives as well. But here again, there's a warning. Verse 12, James says this, But above all, my brothers and sisters... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James is giving us this warning because this is also something we're prone to do in the midst of suffering and while we wait, that we would begin to slip in our own character. Think about what it means to be patient, to put our hope in God's character. We're putting our our hope in the one who is ultimately promising things that we hold to be truthful. We're putting our hope in the character of one who is unchanging. We're putting our hope in the character of one who is trustworthy. So it's no surprise that God would call us in the meantime to be a community of people who are truthful, who are trustworthy, people of integrity, people whose yes means Yes, people whose no means no. This is what our call is while we're patiently waiting for the Lord. So James is pointing this out to us, saying that if we slip in this way, that we are not representing the God who we are placing our hope in. The whole point of this waiting period is so that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is shaping us through this waiting time so that we might be conformed to his likeness And one of the ways we are conformed to his likeness is by waiting in a way so that we speak truthfully to each other, that we speak encouraging words to each other, that we lift each other up. A community where our yes no longer means yes and our no longer means no is a community where we will grow discouraged, where we will not feel encouraged to continue to wait patiently. And the good news in all of this is that it ultimately comes back to what James just said before this, to God's character his character is what we put our confidence in it's not our own character it's not our own ability to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make this happen in ourselves but we trust in the one who's doing a good work inside of us while we wait patiently in fact even the ability to wait patiently is his doing in our lives We trust that the Spirit is is at work in us so that we might be more like Him in the years, the days, the months, the weeks, however long it takes for the Lord to come or for our life to end. We trust that God is doing this good work in us. And we know along the way that we can be patient as we cling to God's promises for the future because we have so many examples of His faithfulness in the past through the examples of others. So this is our great hope. We look to God's character as our source of patience, that we can look ahead into the future, even though we don't know how long it might be, but we trust that the Lord is coming. He's been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. Let me leave with the words of King David in Psalm 27. At the very end of this Psalm, David has written about his own struggles in life, and his words are simply these. He says, wait for the Lord, Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. May we be people who wait in this way. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your word that instructs us, that guides us, and that encourages us. I pray, Lord, for myself and I pray for my friends who are listening in right now, that we would be a people who would wait with patience, that we would wait with steadfastness, because we know that you are coming. And Lord, we trust and look ahead to that day that it will be a day where every ounce of suffering will somehow be used to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That every struggle we've encountered will somehow be useful for that time where we will meet you face-to-face and eye-to-eye. Lord, that time when you're trans in this time when you're transforming us until then, God, would you give us the ability to wait well? Would you give us the ability to be faithful to your promises and to your ways? We pray this all now in your glorious name. Amen.